invite you this morning to find your sermon notes. You can follow along as we go, ask the questions later, talk about it, live the message. So we're going to talk about questions today. Asking questions is a big part of life, especially when you're young. Understand that four-year-olds ask about 400 questions every day. Those of you who are parents, I feel sorry for you. Uh, it's a lot of questions and you know, usually asking questions is a great way to learn, right? Usually most of the time. But with, with four-year-olds, with little people, it's not so much that we don't have the information. It's, it's getting on their level so that they can understand the information itself. For example, there was a mom, and she was listening to an old-time radio. I mean, these days, most of us get the news on, on the Internet, from the computer, or, or TV maybe, but she was listening on one of these old radios. And her four-year-old then asked her this question. She said, how big are the people in the radio? Anybody? How big, how big are the people in the radio? I'd say about this, right, about this big, right? So how do you explain that to a four-year-old? They're about this big. Then there is the age-old problem when you have a second child. Not that your second child's a problem, not saying that. But when you have the second child explaining to the first child how they get there, right? The birds and the bees thing. So imagine you are a mother and you are pregnant and you are, you know, kind of out to here. And so your four-year-old asks you, Mommy, why is your tummy so big? Right? Why is your tummy so big? And you explain, well, it's because I'm expecting a baby. All right, well, where is the baby? Well, the baby's in my tummy. And your four-year-old, with this shocked look, says, Oh my God, Mommy ate the baby. Right? I mean, that's, that's a problem. Explain that one. So, questions. Usually a great way to learn, but not every question leads to greater knowledge. In fact, some questions only lead to more frustration. And that is the topic for this morning. And we have the disciples. They've just left the temple, they're with Jesus, and they see a man sitting along the side of the road. We don't know anything about him other than that he is blind. The obvious question then from the disciples, <clears throat> Rabbi, teacher, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? We have, we have to understand the, the culture <clears throat> because we... We would look at this and say, well, that's, I mean, that's really a, a, a pretty ignorant question, right? Who sinned? We know about genetics. We know about disease. This man or his parents? Obviously, what could he have done in the womb in order to be born blind? But in those days, <clears throat> the culture believed that when bad things happened, it had to be because of something you had done. So it couldn't be the baby, it has to be the parents. Now, do we still do that today? I think we do. When something bad happens in our life, we usually kind of go through our mind, uh, what did I do to deserve this? When, <clears throat> when you get sick or when the, a tragedy happens, isn't that the first question? Lord, why me? Why did you allow this to happen. Now, years ago in Christian circles, uh, a, 
a greeting when you are asked, how are you? What do you usually say today? How are you? What do you usually say? Fine. How are you? Whether you're fine or not, right? Fine. Good. Uh, we don't usually tell people how we really are. An old Christian greeting was, how are you? Blessed by the Lord. It's a great way to respond, but usually the person who hears that is thinking, oh, things are going really well for you. You know, the kids are doing great. Health is good. Uh, life is good. I'm successful. But could you say that if you were ill, if you lost your job, if your relationships were unraveling? What does it truly mean to be blessed by the Lord? Now, the disciples really are reducing this man's identity to his condition. Somebody tell me, as you remember, because it's not in your, in, your, in your bulletin, what is the blind man's name? It doesn't tell us, does it? It just says blind man. How would you like to be known throughout your whole life as just blind man? I mean, that's your identity because of his condition. And the consequence, which everyone assumes, is that either he or his parents have sinned. So that is how everybody knows you. You're a beggar, you're a nobody, you're an outcast, and you're always wondering if anyone is going to have mercy on you. You can't get married, you can't get a job. You are always relying on the mercy of other people as well as on the mercy of God. But notice also they don't just reduce the man to his condition and his consequences, but they do the same thing for God. And we do this as well. They believe that God is just this big bug zapper in the sky. So that whenever you do something wrong, God looks down and he nails you. That is a belief of so many people today. God is just up there looking for you to mess up and then he's going to punish you. What kind of a God is that? That all he's doing is looking to see how he might punish us. So it's really the wrong question completely. Who sinned, this man or his parents? What they're really asking is, what separates us from the love of God? Now, you're, you've all been going to church here for quite a while. You know the answer, so shout it out. What separates us from God? Anybody? Sin. Sin. So, how many of you have sinned? Raise your hand. Right, we confessed earlier. So, to make you feel really good this morning, we're going to do what we used to do way back in the old Lutheran hymnal. How many of you remember the old Lutheran hymnal? Raise your hand, a lot of you. So, say to the person next to you, you are a poor, miserable sinner. Can you do that? <clears throat> now, if you really want to feel good about yourself, you can also say, you are a poor, miserable, wretched piece of human being. All right, go ahead. Notice I did not use any profanity there. You wanted to, I know you did, but I did not. All right, now, because it's not just all of you, it's also me, and this will make you feel really good, say, Pastor, you are a poor, miserable, wretched human being. Go ahead. 
I can take it. There you go. Do you feel better, anybody? That is who we are. That is what separates us from God. We know the general answer. People are blind. They get cancer. They have heart attacks. They die because we live in a fallen, sinful world. So does that make you feel any better if you have cancer? Does that make you feel any better if you have a heart attack? Does that make you feel any better if you're blind? Does that make you feel any better if you've lost your job or your spouse or your child? Probably not. So what we really want to know is what specifically has separated us from God. We know we're all sinners. But as we cry out, Lord, why did this, whatever the thing is, why, why did you allow it? Why does it have to happen? I want to read to you. This is from an author. <clears throat> His name is Isaac Vajegas. He is a pastor. He had a member of his church whose name is Mary. Mary's had a hard life. In particular, one morning, she heard gunfire in her front yard. And she saw her son, Robert, lying there in the front yard, bleeding to death because he had been shot. He got in the crossfire of rival gangs, and now he was dead. Her pastor knows of the situation. This is what he writes. I mean, of course, I can explain it, the shooting, in terms of some cause and effect reasoning. Like he died because he was hanging out with the wrong crowd. <clears throat> but that line never satisfies. It always begs more questions. I mean, we could start asking, why are there gangs in the first place? And there's all kinds of answers. And if we follow that trail, we might find crack cocaine and ask, why did it come to our city? Why did it hit us so hard? But there's always more questions, more paths to follow, endless paths that lead everywhere only to turn back on us and shatter us by confronting us with our own limitations. As much as we try, we can't think our way back to a starting point <clears throat> that explains why our story or Mary's story or any story had to lead to this point of pain and evil. We only ask, why did this happen to me? Why do I have to suffer? Why did God allow it? what the disciples were doing as they looked at the blind man just like us they're thinking why do I have to suffer why did God allow it rabbi who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind God what did I do to deserve my suffering and Jesus says, wrong question.
we need to begin in a different place. We know that bad things happen in the world because of sin. And in this particular case, though there is sin, God is going to use their suffering to show the whole world the nature of God. So let's pause and go back 2,000 years ago, not to the story of the blind man, but to the story of Jesus. The Son of God, coming down from heaven, humbling himself to be one of us, living the life perfectly that God demands of us as his children. We've admitted that we have failed. We're far from perfect. Not only our actions, but our words are often hurtful. Our thoughts are often evil. We deserve eternal punishment, which is simply separation from God. Our only hope is for someone to stand in the gap. And Jesus does. Living that perfect life, not for himself, but for us. Fulfilling the law where we have failed. And then on top of that, going to the cross, suffering an excruciating, painful death. And not just death, but all that leads to it. Being whipped 39 times. Being deprived of food and water. Hanging there in the hot sun, having the crown of thorns jammed on his head. And not just the physical suffering, but taking on the eight billion sinners in our myriad of sins of all the people of this age, all the people who were before, and all the people who will come in the future. And then God says, it is finished, the work is done, as he raises Jesus from the grave. What reunites us? We know sin separates us. But what reunites us? The answer is only found in Jesus. In his life, in his death, in his resurrection. And now what happens? Jesus bends down, he spits in the dirt. He mixes the saliva and the dirt together, he takes the mud and he wipes it on the man's eyes. And he tells him, now go to the pool of Siloam. And in this symbolic washing, even as your sight has returned, even as these physical scales are removed from your eyes, so also your spiritual blindness is going to be removed. The man doesn't realize it at first. Everything is kind of fuzzy, and then he begins to see clearly. He has now regained his sight, and yet everyone around him is still blind. The neighbors, is it really the man? Well, it kind of looks like him, but I'm not really sure. So let's go ask his parents. Is this your son? Well, yes, it is, but... 
They are afraid of getting kicked out of the synagogue. They are afraid of acknowledging that there is a God who could heal their son. And so they say, well, ask him. He's of age. And the Pharisees, the leaders here in the synagogue, the religious leaders are so angry that we aren't just blessed by our good works, that we aren't just punished because of our sin, that there is a, a God of love who can reverse everything, and he is the one who truly is the answer. They're so angry, they kick him out of the synagogue altogether. Isn't that the case still today? We can see clearly who our God is. God has opened our eyes, our spiritual eyes. And we can see that there is a God of love. We can see that there is a God who sacrificed everything for us. We can see that there is a resurrection. We can see that there is life beyond this one. And yet much of the world cannot. The wrong question, who sinned? Because we know everyone has. The question they really wanted to ask is how are we restored to God? And the answer only through the life and the death of the, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then the critical question for you, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of Man? The blind man came back to Jesus. And Jesus asks him that very question. And he says, well, who is he? <laughs> who is he so I can believe? Well, he's standing right in front of you. And he then recognizes. And he begins to worship him. What about you? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of Man? Well, if you open your eyes, you can truly see. Let me ask you this question because it's a little bit different. How many of you believe in miracles yet today? Anybody? Raise your hand. I will say that I do, and I hope that you do as well. And all you need to do is open your eyes. You see, so often we think of miracles as only the physical. And yet, I've seen plenty of those. I myself was healed of cancer. I've seen people who have suffered heart attacks and who went on to live healthy lives. I've seen people who have had strokes go on to live healthy lives. I've seen those who have been in terrible car accidents recover fully and, and live <clears throat> lives that are, that are full and complete. And I've also seen people not recover from heart attacks, and so have you. I've seen people not recover from cancer, and so have you. And I have seen people who didn't survive terrible accidents. And yet, I have seen the good of God through all of this. Case in point. A lot of you know my story. 30 years ago, I had cancer. It was a type of cancer that at the time, there were only experimental drugs. The doctor said, we don't know if you're going to live or die, or we're going to try. And we don't know if you'll ever have children because of the treatment. Obviously, I lived. Obviously, we had children. And God is glorified in that. But that is not where the true glory lies. Some of you may remember the story in, in which I did not have any health insurance. 
And so I was looking at over a quarter of a million dollars, which uh, at the time, uh, my income was exactly zero because I was a student at the seminary. And my wife was a teacher. In fact, we weren't even married yet. Uh, the fact that she even married me is the greatest miracle of all, but it's another story, right? <laughs> so in this whole story, not only am I healed, not only do I go on to have children, but by the grace of God and the generosity of many people, my story is told all over the country, and every penny of that quarter million dollars plus was paid so that the bill was paid in full. And not only that, so much was raised that the pastor of my church then made a fund so that the next generation, if they had expenses that they could not pay, could be paid as well. And in fact, my niece who had leukemia and my brother who did have the good sense to have health insurance, but as you all know, there are so many other expenses, all of her expenses. In fact, she could go to camp every year for those who had cancer because of the money that was raised. If you open your eyes, you can see miracles wherever you look. I just look at all of you this morning. You know you could have been anywhere else but here today. And a lot of people are doing other things. But you have seen and you believe that Jesus is the Son of Man and you have come here to worship. If you see with your imagination, you can see with me yesterday hundreds of people who gathered together in our gymnasium. Some of you were here physically for our upward celebration children running around and enjoying the company of one another. Not hearing the message of the world that we win at all costs, that we are number one, that nothing else matters, that success is our goal. But their values and the values of those who came because their eyes were open. See that it's important that when you win, you can do it gracefully. And when you lose, you can do it graciously. And that your teammates and the friendships that you form are far more important than whatever the scoreboard says. Or in your mind's eye, you can go with me to tomorrow when there will be about 300 people who are gathered in this space throughout the day here at our Lutheran school, as they hear about the love of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection, which makes an eternal difference for them. Or in your mind's eye, you can go to April the 16th, after worship has been completed, and we are now all being sent out into the community, wearing our, our t-shirts that say, Emmanuel serves. And someone who doesn't know Emmanuel or maybe even Jesus asks you, so why are you working here in the park? Why are you raking these leaves? Why are you fixing my door? Why are you painting these benches? Or whatever your project might be. 
and you simply say, because God loves me, I wanna share that love with you. As we open our eyes, we can see miracles wherever we go. There's a man here at our church who wrote me a letter this last week, three pages long. Nobody writes letters anymore, but three pages telling me about his story and all the medical issues that he has had and how God has been with him, not only healing him of all of these maladies, but opening his eye. As he put it, everyone has a story. He told me his story, but the important thing is to see the story of others. You know, whenever you have any kind of malady, and especially as you get older, what is the thing that you always share with people that you visit with? It's your malady, right? It's your illness, it's your suffering. Got together with my brothers a couple of weeks ago. They all told me about all of their prostate cancer. I don't wanna hear that. But that's what we talk about, right? Because we can relate to one another's suffering. And so this man equates his story to their story and intersects it with Jesus' story. As we open our eye, we see that there are miracles all around us. And we begin to ask different questions. It's my prayer for you that whatever you are suffering through, whatever your malady is, whatever your illness is, whatever your tragedy might be, whatever crisis you find yourself in next, that you won't ask the question, Lord, why me? What have I done to deserve this? But rather, Lord, how can you be glorified? How can people's eyes be opened through what you do in my life. So I ask you, what will you do to help those around you see and believe? Let's all rise. Let's make our profession of faith this morning. We're gonna talk about questions today. There's some good ones there in your bulletins ones to talk about later with your family. But uh, questions in general, I think we could always say, are it's just a big part of life. It's how we learn uh, oftentimes, especially at a, at a young age. I'm always amazed at, at parents and, and preschool teachers uh, who can convey a, a complex or complicated message in a simple way that, that young people can understand. It's not always that easy. It's not that we don't have the information, but we don't, always, always, we don't always convey it very well. For example, uh, a lot of us today get our news through the internet or the computer, or maybe you watch uh, the, the network news on television, but there are still those who use the radio. So a mom was, was listening to the news on her radio, and her four-year-old asked the question, how big are the people on the radio? What do you think? Anybody have an answer? How, I mean, how do you answer that? How big are they? I don't know, about that big is probably what I would say. Now, probably a more, a more difficult question, and this is really a mom question. It's when you are pregnant and you already have a child, trying to explain that to the first one, 
the whole birds and bees talk, right? So there's, there's a mom and she's pregnant, it's obvious. And, and so her, her four-year-old asks her, um, mom, why is your tummy so big? I mean, that's a tough question. Mommy, why is your tummy so big? And she says, well, I'm expecting a baby. And so the, the four-year-old asks, so where is the baby? And the mom says, well, the baby's in my tummy. And the kid is just shocked. And, and then says, well, mom, you ate the baby? Come on, I mean, how, how do you explain that one? So questions, they're, they're a great way to learn, usually. Not every question leads to greater knowledge, and that's a problem that we have today. In fact, some questions lead to even more frustration, and we as adults probably know that better than anyone. So we know the scenario, we heard the story. There's a man who's, who's blind. He's sitting along the side of the road. We don't know anything else about him. And the disciples come along with Jesus. They've just left the temple. And they ask the question, Rabbi, who sinned? You see, that's the belief in those days. We think it's a rather insensitive question. Who sinned, the man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, they, they believe that there is a cause and an effect. In that culture... The belief was that people are punished for individual sins in this lifetime. And so if all is going really, really well, if you're wealthy, if you're healthy, if you're successful, then it's because you are righteous. You are living a good life. But if not, if things are going poorly, if you're having relationship difficulties, if you have health problems, and certainly when people die, people believe it's punishment from God. Now, as we take a look at this, we have to see the indictment that these disciples make on the man. They are really saying his identity is all wrapped up in what they believe to be a curse. He's blind, as well as the consequence that it came from his sin. Now, think about this man. I'm sure he's asked similar questions his whole life. You know, Lord, why did this happen? Why me? What did I ever do? I mean, how could I sinned in my mother's womb? That's, that's impossible. And if I did, I certainly don't remember it. Here is a man who has no name. What is he called again in the story? Blind man. <laughs> that's his name. He has no occupation. He can't get a job because he's blind. He can't have a family because he can't have a job because he's blind. He can't experience the beauty of God's creation. He doesn't have near the joys that you and I have. And now he is equated only with his blindness. We ask that question all the time when things happen to us. Why did this happen? Why do I have to suffer? Jesus says this is the wrong question. Really, what the disciples wanted to know is what separates people from God. Now, you're all good churchgoers. You know the answer to this one, so you can answer it for me. You've been in Sunday school. You've been in confirmation class. What is the universal answer, answer, the general answer? What separates all human beings from God? Anybody? Sin. There you go. General answer. Sin causes blindness in one way or another. Sin causes cancer. Sin causes heart attacks. Sin causes death. Sin causes separation from God. So when you come upon a, a tragedy in your life, 
And you know the answer is, this happened because of sin. How does it make you feel? Oh, good, I know the answer. It doesn't help, does it? Especially when it's tragic and there is no particular explanation for the cause of it. I read about a woman, her name is Mary. Mary's had a hard life. How hard? Well, one morning she woke up and she found her son, Robert, dead in the front yard. He was shot. Wrong place, wrong time. Is that the answer? Well, there was rival gangs. He got caught in the crossfire. How does Mary feel with the answer, oh, poor Mary, I'm so sorry this happened to you, but I know it's because there is sin in the world and your son Robert was in the wrong place at the wrong time. You feel better? Of course not. It does not make you feel any better when we know the general answer. And so the disciples wanted specifics just like we do when tragedy happens in our life. But again, Jesus says, wrong question. You already know the answer of what separates you from God. We confessed it this morning. It is our sin. So let's try something else this morning. Let's see if this will make you feel better, okay? I want you to say to the person next to you, and some of you will remember this from the Lutheran hymnal. Remember in the liturgy, it used to say, I am a poor, miserable sinner. Now to make you feel better, I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you are a poor, miserable, and let's add something to it, wretched human sinner. Can you do that? I am a, you are a poor, miserable, wretched human sinner. All right? Now, if you know the person, if you feel comfortable, take your finger and put it in their side and kind of like you're, you know, really rubbing it in there. Can you do that? Only if you know the person, no strangers. All right. Let's see. Does anybody feel better? Anybody? No? A little? Maybe? Yeah, just a little, maybe, but it still doesn't really help all that much. What separates us from God is the sin of the whole world, but personally, our sin as well. What we really want to know and what the disciples want to know is how can we be reunited with our God? How can we experience his love and not just his physical and earthly blessing, but his spiritual and eternal blessing as well? And the answer, of course, is found only in Jesus, in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. We admitted that we are sinners. We should also admit and know that Jesus is the only one who has never sinned. We remember, of course, from Christmas, Jesus is God. He came down from heaven. He took on human flesh. He was born there in that stable in Bethlehem. And then as he grew up, he never sinned. Never had an evil thought never had an unholy action, never hurt anyone, never expressed his frustration with the Lord in an angry and evil way. He did everything right. He fulfilled the law. 
He was absolutely perfect. But it wasn't for his own salvation. It was for all of us. All of us gathered here today, all, all of the people gathered, gathered in churches all around the world, but not just them. All the people who are not gathered in church today. All the people who do not yet know his name. All of those who will continue to sin. Jesus lived perfectly for them. And then on top of that, he went to the cross. And again, not just for us who are gathered, but for all of those who will not ever profess his name. He died for them as well. And not just physically, we know all about the, the 40 lashes. We know about being deprived of food and water. We know about the thorns jammed on his head. We know about the pain caused by the nails driven through his hands and his feet. But so much more than that. All those things that you confessed earlier, all that guilt you felt even when you were jokingly saying to the person next to you that they are a poor, miserable, wretched human being. In the back of your mind, you knew that that is really you. And you felt some of the shame and the guilt and the pain of your own sin. That's what Jesus bore, even as he died on that cross. And then the heavenly father, the one who created all of you, the one who created the blind man as well, he said, it is finished. It's enough. It's sufficient. I'm not going to punish you in this life with blindness or cancer or heart attacks or tragedy or crisis or even death. Those are the natural consequences of a fallen sinful world, but it is not the cause of your pain. And he said that I am going to use, whenever possible, the tragedies that occur to you. I'm going to use your pain and your suffering, just like I did for the blind man, so that people might see the nature of God that they might see that he is a God of love, that he is a God of caring, that he would take all of your sins upon himself and put them to death. And so the question that we need to ask, not why me, not Lord, why didn't you prevent this suffering, but rather, Lord, what can you do with it? How can you be glorified through my pain and through my suffering? What good work can come out of this tragedy or this crisis? And so, Jesus bent down and he spit saliva mixed with dirt. He made it into mud. He took this object, this slime, this dirt, something that the, the world would think is evil and negative, and he rubbed it on the man's eye. And he told him to go and wash in this pool 
And there his physical eyes were open. And he could see everything around him and he could contemplate the beauty of God's creation. He could see his parents for the very first time. Imagine the blessing that was. And his neighbors and the religious leaders. And yet everyone around him still remained blind. How tragic. This miracle has occurred. Something that rarely happens. A person who is blind from birth now can see perfectly. And yet no one around him could see what has happened. His neighbors questioned, are you sure it's really the same guy? His parents were afraid that they would receive the wrath of the Pharisees. So they said, well, yeah, it's, it's our son, but uh, he's of age. He can answer for himself. And the ones who should see the most clearly, the ones who knew the Bible, the ones who should have known the nature of God, they condemned the man and kicked him out of the synagogue altogether because he would dare claim that Jesus was from God. All they had to do was open their eyes and see the works of God. And so the man returns. And Jesus asks him the most important question. The best question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? <laughs> Do you? And he said, well, I want to, but where is he and who is he? And Jesus says that I am he. If we only open our eyes, we can see more clearly. We can see the work of God in everything around us. And so that's my question for you today. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do you believe that he died for your sins and for those of the entire world? And if so, because that's an easy answer to say yes, then do you see his works and his miracles among you? I know I do. Just look around at those who are gathered here this morning. This is a miracle, isn't it? That we as sinners <laughs> are gathered together. And use your imagination. For those who were here yesterday, I know Mark is there in the back. We had the entire gym. If in your eyes you can see the gym filled with children. And they're running around with joy. They're all celebrating their upward season. They see clearly the values that the world does not see. To the world, it's, well, it's kind of like March Madness. They only see what's on the scoreboard. And you only win if you move up in the bracket. And if you're 10th in the standings in, in the Emmanuel pool, you're a loser. That's me, by the way. But that's not what they saw. They saw the joy of these children. They saw the value of teamwork. They see what it means to win graciously and to lose grace fully. And they see that this world is 
It's got so much more to offer than just what the score says on the scoreboard. I see it in the lives of the people of this church. Surely I've seen physical miracles. I've seen a lot of you healed from cancer and heart attacks and, and strokes. I've seen some of you recover from serious accidents. But so much more than that. There's a man who, who wrote me a letter two weeks ago. His last three years have been filled with all kinds of physical maladies heart attacks and strokes, debilitating illness and COVID on top of all of that. And yet he writes that his eyes have been opened as to how God can use his story to mesh with other stories in the healing work of Jesus and his story weave through it all. Open your eyes. And you can see the miracles of God. Tomorrow, there's going to be over 300 people in this building sharing the love of Jesus Christ in those classrooms, in the hallways, here in the cafeteria, again in the gymnasium. Because their parents and our, and our teachers identify them not just as children, but as children of a loving God. And I see it in the lives of our members, who once were all wrapped up in the success of the world and climbing the, the social ladder, but who now simply identify them, themselves as a, as a son or a daughter of the living God. I see it in lives that have been transformed completely Lies that were wrapped up in drugs and alcohol and pornography. Where now, though they may still struggle, they are cleansed of the guilt and the shame. And they know that even if they were to fall back, they have a God who doesn't judge them. But who can only love them. Because Jesus was already judged in their place. Just open your eyes. And you can see the works of God. In a few moments after we've all left, a, a group of our members and, and our friends are going to gather together, talk about how they can, they can share that message in Tijuana. And on April 16th, a lot of you, you've already signed up to, to work out in the community. And if you haven't decided yet, it's going to come and you're going to wear those t-shirts that say Emmanuel serves. And when you're painting a bench, in the park, or you're raking someone's leaves, or, or you're taking out the trash, or you're fixing a door or a window, or whatever it might be, and, and someone asks you, why are you doing this? <laughs> and your eyes will be open. And you'll simply say, because God loves me. And I'm his child. And I want to share that love with you. And maybe their eyes will be opened as well to see the, the works and the miracles of God. As we close this morning, there's just one last question to be asked if you put it up there. What will you do? You already see clearly. You already know the works of God. You already know the values that, 
We have a God who loves us so much that he would die for us. You already know that this earth is not the final answer. You already know that our God goes with us forever. You already know that God can heal physically, but even the greater miracle in that he transforms our hearts. What will you do to help those around you see as well and believe what you already know to be true? That's the question that I want you to be asking this week. Those are the questions that I want you to ask all through the season of Lent as we, as we get to Holy Week, as we get to the cross and finally to the empty tomb. And that's what I want you to ask the next time you suffer, the next time there is crisis, the next time there is tragedy. Not why me, Lord? Not why did you allow this? But what work will you do through it so that others might see you as I already do? Amen? Amen. Let's all rise and make profession of our faith today.